you to turn in your pew Bibles or your own Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 9. That's on page 868 of the pew Bibles. This morning, something a little bit different. We'll be reading Luke 9, 51 through 56, and then skipping ahead to Luke 19, uh, verse 28. But as you're turning there, um, three additional uh, things to be praying for. Thank you for your prayers for for Lynn and for me, but as well um, be praying for Roger McChesney's daughter, Lauren, um, is having a knee procedure surgery uh, tomorrow morning, 6.30 a.m., and then uh, continue to be praying for, for, for Marn and Mary Lee and for Mary Lee's um, health and health guidance as well. But hear God's word, Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 51. This is the word of God. When the days drew near for him... To be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, Do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. And now Luke 19, beginning with verse 28. Luke 19, 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them, And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice. And praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we read these familiar passages of Scripture, especially with Christ triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And Lord, may these not be uh, just old stories, not just familiar stories, not just stories where we say, I've heard that already. Lord, pray that your Holy Spirit would be stirring in our hearts even now. Open up our eyes, unstop our ears so that we would see always the glory of God, but we would always see your gracious love for us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I've heard, and I've only heard this, but some senior citizens start to make a list of things they want to see or places where they want to go or things they want to do before they die. Call it a bucket list. And no, I haven't made a bucket list yet. Well, maybe one thing. Lynn and I want to see national parks. But why a bucket list? They want to do these things before they kick the bucket, uh, to use an expression. You know, while everyone uh, might have a personal list, usually these lists include things like uh, traveling to Europe, Uh, Courageous ones say, I'd like to go skydiving before I die, or maybe that will be the last thing I do uh, before I die. Uh, They want to get a tattoo. Can't figure that one out. Or see the northern lights, and if you've ever seen them, uh, you you can understand why. While our Lord Jesus Christ did not compose a bucket list, Uh, He did faithfully set his face to go to Jerusalem where he would die on the cross. Uh, Jesus not only prophesied his death on the cross, but he also obeyed his heavenly father's plan for our redemption. Uh, Jesus knew that he came to seek and to save lost sinners uh, by his sacrificial death on the cross. And here this morning, as we look at these two passages from Romans, uh, let us focus on, on this truth, that as our obedient prophet, Jesus faithfully journeyed to the cross for us. Well, how can Jesus' faithful journey to the cross still encourage us as Christians today? You know, thinking about the obedience, three scriptural truths about the obedience of Christ. It's a crucial obedience, it's a compassionate obedience, and as well, it's a comforting obedience. I invite you to uh, turn with me in your Bibles there to Luke chapter 9. You know, it's a a great chapter when you have time this afternoon, this evening. I encourage you to read through all of uh, Luke chapter 9. It's a gospel-saturated portion of Scripture. Uh, Just to give you a quick overview, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles there at the very beginning uh, to proclaim the kingdom of God. Herod, the Tetrarch, seems to be perplexed by Jesus' identity. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Peter confesses Christ there in verse 20. 
Uh, then he, Jesus, said to them, "Who do you say? But who do you? But who do you say that I am?" And Peter answered, "The Christ of God, the Messiah of God, God's very Messiah." Uh, Jesus prophesies his own death and resurrection there in verse 21. Uh, he gives marching orders to his followers. Uh, verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And then in the midst of, of Luke 9, we see the glorious transfiguration of Christ with Peter and James, well, and uh, they hear these gracious words. Uh, verse 35, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, my elect son. Listen to him. You know, after coming down from the mountain then, Jesus displays his sovereign power when he heals a boy with an unclean spirit. Next, Jesus uh, again foretells his death before the disciples begin an argument Imagine that, the disciples arguing, arguing about who is the greatest. There's another petty protest by John, and then this gracious response by Jesus. In all of that, we come to verse 51, a, a, a critical verse. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, uh, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Uh, the ESV um, implies it, but, but in the original there's a little phrase, and it came to pass. Uh, you'll see that frequently um, in, in Scripture. You know, it, this phrase points us to God's providential plan of salvation. To give you uh, an example, it's there in Luke chapter 2, verse 6. Luke chapter 2, verse 6, at Jesus' birth, and it came to pass. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. It, you know, God had a plan. God had a purpose for, for our salvation. And, and we see it here in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and it came to pass the days drew near for him to be taken up. You know, that, that word taken up is a rich word. Uh, New American Standard translates it ascension, you know, but we can also understand that, that idea of Jesus being taken up or lifted up you know, with his own death for our sins on the cross. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus uses it that way. John 12, verse 32 and I, Jesus says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. That word taken up or lifted up can also be understood his resurrection. He was lifted up from the grave. But then again, it can be understood that after those 40 days, after his resurrection, Jesus ascended, was taken up into glory. So all three, are, I believe, are true, that Jesus was lifted up on the cross. He was lifted up, taken up from the grave. He was taken up into glory. Uh, the days drew near for, for him to be taken up. And, and so Jesus knew that, you know, as the Son of God. He knew his scriptures as well. 
And what did Jesus do? He set his face to go to Jerusalem. You know, from, from the very beginning of his ministry, you know, it was God's purpose, and, and the Son of God knew this, for, for Jesus to go to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? To die for our sins on the cross. It was not right in Jerusalem, outside on Golgotha, but he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Remember that Jesus was not only the Son of God and our gracious Savior, he was also an obedient prophet. Uh, Again, just to give you one example, Luke chapter 13, uh, verse, well, excuse me, Luke 18, verse 31. Luke 18, verse 31. And taking the twelve, he, that is Jesus, said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, will be mocked, shamefully treated, spat upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. You know, so so Jesus, as the Son of God, as the obedient Son of God, knew that his pathway, this journey, was leading to Jerusalem. Now, a great book um, commended to you for your reading, The Cross of Christ by John Stott. But John Stott has, has this truth into that book. He writes, he, that is Jesus, was determined to fulfill what had been written of him. From Jesus' youth, even from his birth, the cross cast its shadow ahead of him. His death was central to his mission, so he set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. Nothing would deter or deflect him. You know, he was an obedient prophet. You know, when we read that scripture, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, it's an allusion to Isaiah 50, verse 7. Isaiah 50, verse 7, which reads this way, But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. No, he he set his face with unflinching resolve. He set his face, and, and Ralph Davis put it this way, precisely because... He has complete confidence that Yahweh will carry him through the suffering and vindicate him. He set his face like a flint. You know, flint was the hardest known stone in the Old Testament. They used flint to make knives. You know, so sharp, almost like a scalpel. As well... There's an expression, a Bible verse, where it tells us the Lord God brought a spring of water, not just from a rock, but from flint. Deuteronomy 8, verse 15. So we can say here, even as we look at Luke 9, 51, that Jesus confidently, courageously, lovingly, 
obediently, willingly went forth to Jerusalem. He was not dragged to the cross. No one one pushed him. It's his crucial obedience there to die for our sins on on Calvary. One more quote. What Jesus suffered was not some unfortunate accident, but the direct result of his deliberate obedience to his divine calling as Savior of the world. It's from Philip Ryken. Now, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and there was only one way to, to save the lost, And that was by his death for our sins on the cross. And and therefore, we can call it a crucial obedience, crucial to Jesus' life and Christian witness, gospel witness, but crucial to us and our salvation. You know, this Thursday, we, we plan on gathering for a special worship service, you know, a Monday, Thursday service, you know, Monday, thinking of Jesus' commandment to his disciples there, John 13, a new commandment I give unto you. You know, at this service, we'll sing hymns that speak of Jesus' suffering and death. We'll read scriptures that, that remind us of these words, promises of Christ, promises of salvation. You know, but the first hymn that we'll sing is Man of Sorrows. What a name. First verse reads as follows, Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And then the third verse, Lifted up was he to die, it is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high, hallelujah, what a Savior. You know, on this Sunday before Resurrection Day, you know, this is Sunday we call Palm Sunday. Um, but, you know, every Lord's Day, we're, we're always remembering and rejoicing in, in Christ's death for our sins on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. You know, but, but part of that, an important part of that scriptural truth is this. Jesus was an obedient prophet. We we think of Jesus' perfect obedience to the Father's will. Jesus perfectly followed, obeyed, you know, the, the truth of God's word. He came to fully pay the costly price for our salvation. So we begin there with Jesus' crucial obedience, but... And now in verse 52 of Luke 9, we see Jesus' compassionate obedience. You know, we, even here we see the heart of Jesus. You know, his love not only for his followers, but his love for the lost. And I believe as well, we'll see Jesus' love for the Samaritans. And Jesus sends messengers ahead of him, no names given. They obediently heed his commands. They enter a Samaritan village. To refresh your memories, Samaritans, uh, after the Babylonian exile, you know, they, they destroyed Jerusalem, carried 
many of God's people off to a foreign land, and after the Babylonian exile, some Jews returned to settle Samaria, but they intermarried with, with non-Jews. They incorporated idols and false gods into their worship. They didn't believe all of the same scripture that the Jews believed. And to add to that, in Jesus' day, they did not worship at the temple in in Jerusalem. Granted, it was Herod's temple. They worshiped at Mount Gerizim. Uh, So there was a real racial and religious hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans and as well between the early Christians and the Samaritans, but, you know, keep in mind that Jesus ministered to them. You know, Luke's gospel also includes uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. Later on in Luke 17, Jesus healed ten lepers, and only one returned to give thanks. And, and who was that grateful leper? He was a Samaritan. So Jesus ministered to them, and I believe he he deliberately traveled through Samaria. You know, it it wasn't that his his GPS steered him in the wrong direction. You know, he deliberately traveled to Samaria, through Samaria. And Jesus sends these messengers to make preparations for him. You know, maybe a simple meal or a night's lodging. It doesn't tell how many are with Jesus, whether it's just uh, the 12 apostles or whether it may be a crowd of 70 or more. You know, but what happens there? You know, first it's a rejection. Uh, The people did not receive him. They did not welcome him. There was no room in the inn there in this Samaritan village. Why? Scripture tells us because his face was set for Jerusalem. You know, we worship at Mount Gerizim. You worship at the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. They, they knew, even the Samaritans knew, that Jesus' face was set for Jerusalem. Second time in three verses. You know, and we should never think about the life and ministry of Jesus you know, with without thinking about Jerusalem and the cross. You know, what was going to happen to Jesus there in Jerusalem? He would be betrayed by by one of the twelve, by Judas. He would be arrested, tried, mocked, spat upon, scourged, finally crucified for the sins of those whom he called to faith from every culture, every nation, every race. Yes, that would include Samaritans. They rejected Christ. And and how did the, at least two of the disciples respond, James and John, you remember James and John were, were there along with Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, there, there was a readiness by James and John. Another gospel, they're called Sons of Thunder, most likely because they had a short fuse. And so what do they want to do? They say, Lord, you know, let us call down God's fire of judgment on those who 
reject you. You know, they're, they're just waiting for Christ to give the command. Just say the word, blink your eye, nod your head, and, and we'll call down fire. You know, they've taken the safety off their guns. They're ready to fire at will. And, and why call down fire? You know, they, they might be remembering Second Kings chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. I'll give you a quick summary. Remember, Elijah was one of those who were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Elijah was still in uh, the front of their minds. But there is an account there in Second Kings chapter 1 when the idolatrous king of Israel, King Ahaziah, uh, wanted to ascend, well, he didn't want to, he sent forth two groups of soldiers, 52 groups of 50 soldiers to capture or to execute Elijah. Elijah had given a prophecy about King Ahaziah that King Ahaziah didn't like. And, and so what happened to those first two groups of 50 soldiers? They, they were toast. You know, Elijah called down fire and they were consumed. Not, not just one group of 50, and then along comes the second group of 50, and then Ahaziah, you know, in his craziness, sends forth a third group of soldiers. But the third captain, you know, he, he saw the ashes there. He came in humility before God's servant. He pled for mercy, and they were spared. And so James and John were just thinking about those first two events. Lord, isn't it good when you show your your greatness, your holiness, and and, uh, you as a prophet, you know, turn your your foes into toast? You know, wouldn't that be a great public witness? You know, but what does Jesus do? Verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them. You know, two, two truths there. He, he turned. All, all good reason, looking at the language that he turned to James and John. You know, he's not turning to the Samaritans. He turned to James and John. You know, and that, that little expression, Jesus turning, you know, reflects his compassion towards sinners, just to give you one example, there, there are a few, but uh, Luke 7, verse 44, Luke 7, verse 44, you know, a sinful woman before Jesus, and, and Jesus says, then turning towards the woman, there's that same phrase, and turning towards the, this sinful woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And he goes on to say, therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. So here, here is Jesus turning to James and John. Uh, believe turning in, in love. This is a, a compassionate obedience. And he rebuked them. You know, that, that word rebuke as well is used. You know, Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves and they became silent. It became calm. You know, it, Jesus rebuked them. 
I know we're, we're moving quickly through different portions of Scripture this morning. But thinking of rebuke, you know, hear this, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Let me begin with verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke. That's the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. You know, at, at times... You know, God's word rebukes us, you know, to, to get our attention, call us to repentance. And in compassion, that is what Jesus is doing for his disciples. You know, at times we as Christians need to be rebuked by the word of God, you know, by by the promises of Scripture, through the work of his Holy Spirit. But but as well, thinking of Jesus' compassionate obedience here, you know, throughout Jesus' ministry, you will see a host of examples of his compassionate obedience. Remember, he met with a man of the Pharisees. Again, you know, foes to Christians, to Jesus. He met with a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And Jesus compassionately proclaimed the gospel to him. You know, John chapter 3, you know the verse. John chapter 3, verse 13 through 16. Before we get to verse 16, begin with John 3, 13. No one has ascended, Jesus said. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then this glorious, gracious promise of God's word. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus spoke those words to Nicodemus. Jesus' compassionate obedience. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, come forth. He heals unclean lepers, even Samaritan lepers. He speaks words of salvation hope to a thief on the cross. You know, two two takeaways here as we consider Jesus' compassionate obedience. You know, first there's a gospel caution here. To James and John and for us today, God's word warns us as believers not to call down fire upon those who reject Christ. Going to meddling, you know, We're not to call down fire upon politicians, no matter what they do or don't do, what they say or don't say. Not to call down fire on idolaters, atheists, next-door neighbors. You know, it's a word of caution here. But there's gospel compassion. That's the second truth here. 
You know, we're to proclaim the gospel to all people, including Samaritans. You know, those from different cultures, races, ethnic backgrounds, unbelievers, those who are not of the Christian faith, but they need to hear the hope that is found in Christ alone. So Jesus' crucial obedience, his compassionate obedience, finally his comforting obedience. You know, Luke 9, 56, last verse. You know, King James and New American Standard have a phrase that's in some of the original Greek texts, and it reads as follows, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. You know, it's a word of comfort here because no judgment fire fell upon this Samaritan village that refused to welcome Jesus. They didn't even shake the dust off their sandals when they left. Daryl Bach puts it with this way, the entourage refusing to retaliate continues its journey. Jesus himself refused to retaliate against these sinners. We recognize at times that gospel seeds fall upon rocky soil. They went on from the village. Why? Because Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And they went on. There's a continuance to another village. You know, but but there, there is gospel comfort as well. Not going to preach two sermons today, but turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 40. You know, how does that verse begin? Verse 28, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So there in 951, he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem, and now he is in Jerusalem. Jesus visited Jerusalem a few times during his ministry, but here he is in Jerusalem uh, for one of the last times. He he stays overnight there um, in uh, the the garden groves, the olive groves, just uh, east of Jerusalem, coming down into Jerusalem every day. But here now he is in Jerusalem, Our obedient prophet prepares to enter into the city of Jerusalem and uh, take a New York minute to gaze at a few of the largest gold nuggets here that that we can find in these few verses of of Scripture. Believe that tie into Luke chapter 9, verse 51 and following. First, Jesus obediently entered Jerusalem and fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. When you take a close look here at, at Jesus' triumphal entry, you know, he, he fulfilled passages from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, from 2 Kings 9, 9. Secondly, the crowds here at first did not reject Jesus, but they rejoiced in their glorious king. You know, save us now, Lord, Hosanna. They cried out. They cried out to Jesus, their prophet, priest, and king. You know, again, we hear towards the end of the Pharisees simply demand 
this of Jesus. There in verse 39, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, teacher. You notice what they call him, Jesus, you're just a teacher. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Same word that's used there in in Luke chapter 9, verse 55. and, And actually it's a command. Jesus, we're telling you what to do. Rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up to stop singing your praises, to not stop proclaiming your grace and, and your glory. You know, realizing, you know, even Jesus, that he is still living in that sin-filled world. And what's Jesus' response as a prophet? Again, he quotes scripture. You, you can look it up, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 11. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You know, one day, all of creation, you know, even the trees of the field will clap their hands. All of creation, all of God's redeemed children, who would be crying out, singing God's praises, praising the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, and we see that this prophecy fulfilled partially. You, know, you look at Matthew's gospel after Jesus' death, or at Jesus' death, the earth shook and the rocks were split. Every gospel prophecy about Christ will be fulfilled. We'll close with this. You know, one hymn that uh, many churches sing on Palm Sunday would like for us to learn it one year is uh, ride on ride on in majesty it's in our trinity hymnals 237 you know it's based on jesus triumphal entry into jerusalem before his death on the cross just listen to the last verse hear these words ride on ride on in majesty in lowly pomp ride on to die bow your meek head to mortal pain then take O oh god your power and reign you know on this lord's day and every lord's day you know may may we always rejoice in christ's perfect obedience that he was indeed that obedient prophet obedient unto death even death on a cross for our salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we we thank you for all of Scripture. All of Scripture points us to Christ. Christ as the Messiah. Christ as the Son of God. Christ as the Savior of sinners. And Lord, we, we thank you For Jesus' faithful journey to Jerusalem, we thank you that he was obedient even unto death, death on a cross. He did not flinch. He did not falter. He did not fall away. He died on the cross for our sins, the righteous one for us, the unrighteous ones. 
And so, Lord God, um, we pray that we would ever be praising you, that you are our Savior, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Lord, may we praise you as well that you have given us that, that gospel privilege, that gospel duty uh, to tell others the, the good news of, of salvation in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.